Hi everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Paratalk. And on this episode, uh, this is kind of a, a request episode because I um, had a few messages over the recent months uh, from people asking, what books am I reading? You know, what am I reading? What's my thing? Uh, so I thought, well, I'm going to get Tom in and we're going to have a bit of a chat. And we're going to talk about the books that we enjoy and that we've read or we are reading. So without further ado, hello, Tom. Hello. Hello. <laughs> I'm glad you got me on for this topic. It's one of <laughs> my favourite things, talking about books. Talking about books. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. So, um, so yeah. Books. Uh, you, I mean, you're still an avid reader, yeah? Yeah, well, I'm an avid collector. I, I don't get that much time to read them these days. I, 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 buy, I buy them faster than I read them, but yeah, I do, I do read a lot. Uh, books are getting harder and harder to come by. And I don't mean that pe- people don't make books anymore. You go out in the wild and you hunt around. Uh, where I live, anyway, there used to be lots of secondhand bookshops. And there's nothing better than going in a secondhand bookshop and having a rummage around and having a look what they got. Uh, mm, and it's that yeah. smell. Have you noticed that smell in a secondhand yeah, bookshop? Yeah, yeah. It's like the dusty, dusty shelves and the smell of the old pages it's just something about the smell of a bookshop i know exactly what you mean you can get lost in it and you can spend yeah i mean you i mean i think the longest i've ever been in a shop was about two and a half hours just looking just constantly <laughs> looking around for stuff i must admit i picked up a few good bargains uh where mm. you know they're just selling them they buy books in bulk they put them up on the shelf they mark them up and you come in and buy them and you go in there and you look and you find something and you get a book you've been mm-hmm. looking for for a while and you almost kind of get that kind of high don't you yeah and there's something about the way it, it a good bookshop to me is one where the shelves are so packed with books that are just all higgledy piggledy all over the place that you've really got a rummage through them to find anything good i don't really like going in where it's all neatly organized and yeah. it's all in its categories i like seeing like i like the hunt of looking through those books and when you find that one that you you've been looking for just find something like a, a little interesting treasure among the shelves of just ha- uh, chaotically haphazardly piled books all over the place i love all that yeah you do get a high from finding the, the right the right thing through, you know, in a situation like that. You always get that kind of bin as well where you got all the books that have got like the torn cover or some mm-hmm. kids drawn like stick men in it or uh, someone's used it as a, uh, I don't know, doing a speech and they've underlined certain paragraphs that they're going to, you know, they're going to talk about or whatever. Um, yeah. And you always get, you always get like the library books that have never been returned. And they, they end up in a second-hand yeah. bookshop you know, yeah, 10 yeah. years later. Is what got you into sort of books and reading and also the the more sort of paranormal stuff? What got you into that? As far as getting started with books, I can't remember. I've always loved reading since I was a kid, and my parents always encouraged it. I can really remember the um, the book fairs coming around. You know, do you, do yeah. you, did you have them at your school? They come around yep. and you can just sort of, you put in, you get a little catalogue and you can like order what book you want and then they come in and you, you pick them up. Yeah, I think that was a really big thing for me getting for getting into reading was getting to like, like just sort of picking something for yourself and getting to like own it rather than going to the library and just pick renting something for a few days. I really love that. I remember going to one of those book fairs and I saw a book and it was the Book of Ghosts. And yeah. it was uh, the kind of 
it was a kind of hybrid book because it wasn't really a magazine and it wasn't really a hardback book. It was A4 size mm. and it always had all that crazy artwork on the front, like all hand-drawn. And you would read through it and all the pictures inside were impressions. They were illustrations like paintings of, you know, mm -hmm. the headless horseman of the certain bridge or whatever. And then there would be like a huge text and it would be written out, you know, a couple of paragraphs about this haunting. And I remember yeah. buying one of those books and it cost me, I don't know, 95 pence, something like that, back in the, back in the olden days. Well, we had old money. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I, that, was, I mean, that was my pride and joy. I took that book home and uh, I, I read it from cover to cover. And, uh, you know, I, I wasn't very old. I was, uh, I don't know, seven, eight years old. But, uh, you know, that was kind of, that made an impression on me. It was mm. kind of like you, like you said, you owned it. I mean, did you do that thing as well where you get open the book and put your name and address in it? Yeah, yeah. Did you do that? I used to like, yeah, yeah. I've, I've got, I've still got some of my books from when I was a kid, and I used to like doodle all over the pages and all sorts of stuff, like change, change like whole sentences, cross them out, and write something else in, or put little jokes in the margins and stuff. Yeah, I used to really, I used to really vandalize my books, but that's because I liked them so much. You know, it wasn't because I was like disrespecting them; it was because they were mine, and I wanted to like change it. You know, make it my own sort of thing. Did you have a library at your school? Uh, we had a little tiny, it was basically just a room and just another classroom that had turned into a library at, at our um, primary school. I didn't really spend a lot of time in there, to be honest, but I used to be a member of the like a, a local library. I used to like going down there, you know, and looking through all the books. Yeah. That was, that was more my thing than the, the school library wasn't really up to much, to be honest. I was quite fortunate because we had a quite a good school library, although a lot of the books in the library were school orientated we yeah. did have a section on mysteries i remember borrowing a book from there and it was about stonehenge uh had avebury in there and you know stone circles and stuff uh i remember that but i also remember as you say going to the the main you know the town library unfortunately now yeah. it's uh it's no longer a library it's a block of flats so uh people live in there now but um back in the olden days uh it was a it was a library where you could go in and you could hire books or lend books and you could also uh, rent out uh, albums and cassettes so downstairs it was an old victorian mm. building very very built in like 18 something very grand very high ceilings and grandiose staircases you know the kind of place you go in and go yeah. it's definitely haunted this has got a ghost in it you know, that, kind of that place. Um, uh -huh. And I remember going in there as a kid, and they had this, they had this children's section. And on this children's section, they had um, it wasn't called like paranormal. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't like that. It wasn't because I was like a little. I wouldn't understood anything. But it was like um, they had a section with like ghost books, but they were all like um, like children orientated ghost books, you know, or, or you know monsters or that sort of stuff. And uh, yeah. I spent ages in there, just sat in there looking at, you know, looking at the books and looking at stuff. And that, to me, I would really enjoy that. And then, of course, I'd go upstairs and rent out uh, the album Raiders of the Lost Ark soundtrack, you know, because you could do that. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. You know, I couldn't afford, I wasn't old enough to go and see the film, you know, or, or whatever. Or I, I wasn't able to go to the pictures on my, so I'd get the soundtrack. And I'd listen to the soundtrack and imagine what the film might be like from the soundtrack. Uh, I used oh, yeah. to do that, yeah. but uh, yeah, that's just me as a kid being a bit weird. I remember, <laughs> I remember getting um, uh, the the Empire Strikes Back score, the, the the score for the film, 
back in like 19 when did, when did empire come out 80 81 when it empire came out um show my age now and i, I got mm. the i got the soundtrack i think i got the soundtrack before i saw the film or, or something like that yeah and i remember listening to the soundtrack and in my head it was like this this film's going to be epic because the, the music's brilliant so it's going to be an, and it was of course you know empire's the best one isn't it obviously you know so um uh it just that has how my kiddie brain worked but you know, books and and reading when i was younger uh that's kind of how i got into sort of ghosts and reading about ghosts and the unexplained and that was through the, the library and through you know uh going to like you know just books book fairs well i don't know what, if it was a book fair it was more like a with our school it was more like this geezer and his wife came round and they had a suitcase full of books and they put it on a table and uh, it was like, mm. that one's 5p, that one's 2p. It was like that. I don't know who this guy was, but I don't know where he got his books. <laughs> Just some yeah, dodgy bookseller. Dodgy yeah. bookseller. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's like the guy that comes around your um, your house. Well, not comes, he doesn't come around your house, but he comes around the road that you live in, in his Ford Granada estate. And uh, he's got a suitcase or a box full of Oki uh, VHS tapes that he's taped off of, yeah. you know, uh, you know, fifty pence for a week. You know, you're not going to argue with that, are you? Right. But um, yeah, so uh, you know, it, that kind of stuff was uh, for me uh, growing up. But w- when we get a bit older, I mean, like now, I mean, there are people out there that still read books, and there's a lots of you know, the book reading community is very, it's still very strong. Uh, people are, it's not like people don't read books anymore. We're going to, I'll say, we're going to talk about the books that we enjoy reading and we've read. And I'm going to start, you've, each of us have got a little pile of books next to us. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. Tom's got a little pile and I've got a little pile. And first of all, I'm going to, I'm going to hand this over to you. G- grab one of your books and, and tell us about it. Okay. All right. I'll, I just, I just go and I'm just grabbing it random. Actually, it's just, just the one that's on top of the pile here. So, yeah, I, 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 I collect like I collect all books, really. Anything weird that I see in like a charity shop or a secondhand shop, I'll I'll grab. But one of the main things I really like is collections of true ghost stories. So I've got absolutely, well, I wouldn't say hundreds, but I've got like shelves full of them. I'm running out of room for these, and uh, I just wanted to pick like one of these books to talk about. And probably one of my favourites is called Ghosts Over Britain by Peter Moss. And he's compiled these stories. Um, I don't know. I think sometimes these, sometimes it's all about how the author writes the writes about the stories. You know what I mean? Like sometimes they write in a really dry way, and they kind of it's, it's it's not too interesting. But there's something about the way he presents these stories. It seems like he's gone around the country, and he's he's picked like the stories he's picked. Are not the sort of typical ones you'll hear. You know, a lot of the time when you you get these collections of ghost stories, they're either like the the same sort of famous ghost stories that you've heard a hundred times before, or they're kind of like ones that take place in very grandiose settings. Um, but it seems like he's picked ones that take place in like weird, you know, suburban residential estates, like random houses. He's just heard about a story and he's he's picked it up and wrote about it, and um. I just I just like the presentation of the book. It's 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 the copy I've got is a nice hard hardback thing, and um, it's also accompanied by these amazing illustrations throughout that really set the scene. 
they're um i don't know i, I don't know how to describe and they're like really nice hand-drawn illustrations of the ghost stories and some of them are really eerie looking what is the index the index of each story what has it got in there oh god it's got it's got a long have you got a favorite one in there mm-hmm. there's one where yeah so you've got you've got a section on historical hauntings and stuff like the more famous ones but then you've got like the family ghosts and this is just ones where they're living with yeah. a ghost in their hand um I can't remember the actual story. I'm trying to find it now. There's a good section on poltergeists and evil ghosts with with titles like The Shapeless Evil. Sound of a film there. That's a, that's a BBC play, that is. One of the best ones in here, just because of the illustrations, was uh, I'm trying to find it in here because the illustration always jumps out at me as something creepy. And basically, there's a there's a family in the house and the, uh, you know, they, not, they didn't have carpets, just had like plain like floorboards. Yeah. And then they ended up looking down through like a knot hole in one of the floorboards and they saw an eyeball staring back up at them. And there's an illustration of that and I, I really love it. But I'm trying to find it in the book now. I was trying to find it so I can remember the title of the story. They looked down through the floorboards and they saw an eyeball staring yeah. back at them. Yeah, like like someone was under the floorboards looking up at them. I think it's time to move. But the illustrations in this book are what makes it. I mean, the writing is is good, but the illustrations really do add another thing, another element to it. It helps you, doesn't it? It helps you sort of envision what the what the writer, the author, is trying to convey to you, doesn't it? And it sets the mood as yeah. well, doesn't it? What year was that produced? The book was produced. Oh, let me see now. Sometimes I get these books and they don't have like you know, some of the old books. They don't tell you when they were yeah. they were made. Uh, 1977. Oh, classic, classic one. era. It's, it's quite, yeah. That's that was a good era for for ghost stories. Like 70 through like the 60s and 70s was when that I think that was the best time for getting into like paranormal stories and you know, a lot of the books you find from them are, are are really good. It was still very fringe back then. Very very fringe. Look now, it not so much. Yeah, this but the story with the I've just found the story with the hole in the floor was from like 1952 and it's just from a, a semi-detached house in Pattingham, wherever that is. So yeah, it's, it's like he's, he's found quite obscure stories that I haven't heard in other places. Yeah. Those, those books are, are, are some of the best because the author goes out of his way not to uh, just regurgitate and retell tales or some of the fam- more famous cases. And they'll tell yeah. tales of uh, accounts that maybe have never been documented that never that they're mm-hmm. just maybe in the family you know oh yeah talk to old uh uncle derek there was a in the loft ghost and then he'll go and interview mm-hmm. him and get the story i've got a few of those come under like folklore and stuff but still they're classics collections of ghost stories are my thing so i had to uh, like i could i could just talk about those sort of books for like three hours so i i just had to whittle it down to one from my collection one of those like compilations of ghost stories that was my favorite and that's that's probably it i think i'm gonna uh jump in there and talk about a uh-huh. uh a book which is kind of would be maybe a companion to your book it's actually signed by the author uh, david bell he's mm-hmm. got his signature in it with best wishes david bell the name of it is Ghosts and Legends of Staffordshire and the Black Country. Mm. To give you the uh, a bit of a synopsis, it says, This is a catalogue of strange phenomenon and unexplained events, including the old lady who haunts the wards of a Hartshill hospital, 
and the underground weeping in the sea around the desolate crater at Ford. So like yours, it's lots of collections of different like stories or accounts and stuff. And it's and what's good yeah. about this is there's a map inside. In the map is kind of listed all of the, the the areas so that you can look and get an idea where he is and what he's talking about. This was published nineteen ninety four. So at, at the tail end I think of the the sort of you know, before the kind of paranormal kind of exploded as it was getting a bit popular then, wasn't it? But this is yeah, a yeah. this is a book I don't know, it just it's very um basic. It's not I mean, how many pages is it? It's it's only like 120, 118, 120 pages. And there's an awful lot of stuff in here, you know? Because it's like not like massive mm. writing or anything. It, it's a great book. And I really enjoy some of the stories in there. And it's great for when I'm doing research because I go, oh, I need a story. And I'll look through this and go, oh, yeah, there's one here in Endon. And it's, a, you know, a well-dressed uh, a pagan rite. And it's all about this stuff and a paganism ghost. And, and, all this, and I think, oh, this is great. You know, this is what I want. Something different. Like you just said, it's, there's accounts in these books that are completely not really talked about in any other place. You know, so that, yeah. that's one of my favourites. So I'm going to hand it back to you now. Oh, okay. Um, let's have a look what I've got here on my collection. <laughs> I've got such a big pile of books next to me. Um, okay, well, I'll, I'll talk about this one. This is, uh, I think they've just made a film about this case, actually, and I've covered it in a video before. And I wish I'd read this book before I did my video because I made some mistakes in my video this is like one of the most comprehensive and entertaining books on this subject. And it's called Jeff, the strange tale of an extra special talking mongoose ah. by, by Christopher Joseph. Yeah. For some reason, I, when I saw this book, like I'd seen it online and I looked at the cover of it and it's, it's got a nice cover. It's like sort of hand drawn and the font looks kind of whimsical from the cover. It makes it almost look like it's quite a basic book, but it's a thick tome. And it's, it's so detailed, but also at the same time, it's really entertaining the way he covers this case, Jeff the Talking Mongoose. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm guessing most people know about this case, but it, it happened in the Isle of Man. There was a, a remote farmhouse where apparently the family started to, I mean, it's it's basically like a poltergeist yeah. case, but it's, you know, it's the family started hearing strange noises and then it sort of developed a voice and then it, it revealed itself to be a, a mongoose that couldn't die, that lived forever, and it said he was, was three hundred years super, old. Super intelligent. Yeah, and he came yeah, from uh, India. All these experts came to the house to try and debunk it, and a lot of them, some of them left a bit skeptical. A lot of them left quite convinced that Jeff existed. No one ever really saw him, but you'd, you'd, now and then you'd see like a flash of something or a, a hand come out from behind a wall. But yeah, it's just an interesting case. Whether it's real or not, I don't know. I'm still not. I'm still not sure after reading the book like if you want to learn about this case then this book is just the uh he's really like thrown himself into the research in um uh, just he just goes into so much detail in the book but like i say it's it's a thick book but it's also entertaining it's not like a really dry like boring account you know what i mean well worth a look yeah uh it's a fascinating case um gareth and i a long time ago we did a we did an episode on it. I'm sure we did. 
uh, or we we talked about it at some length, and uh, mm. it is a fascinating case. And I, I've never, I've read, I, I've read books with it in there. I've read poltergeist books with that talk about. See, that's the one thing. Some people say Jeff. Some people say Geff. Yeah, I always said Geff. Yeah, but I, then I heard someone else say it was supposed to be Jeff. But I don't know. It looks like Geff to me. It's kind of a a classic case. It's more. It's up there with the Enfield poltergeist. It's up there with that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for you know, uh, uh, the media attention and uh, for investigators going out there and trying to research it. But as we say, there there are some pictures as well. There's a picture allegedly that the girl took of Geff on a uh, on a on a fence uh, on the island. Yeah. And uh, some people say, no, that's just a fur hat. Um, yeah. And there's a, it's very it's highly disputed. Unfortunately, the um, the farmhouse is no longer there. Well, the foundations are, but it was demolished, mm-hmm. and it's just there's just grass there now. And you can see a, yeah. a little bit of the foundation, a little bit of the wall. But um, uh, so you know, maybe is the is there any power, paranormal phenomenon there still? Who knows? But uh, Geff kind of disappeared, and when you know said he was going away and never came back. So if I'm not wrong. I think Simon Pegg has just done a, a movie. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's it. Yeah. Uh, he's a researcher and he has to go and investigate it. Uh, I haven't seen it either, so yeah, I'm, I will. Lo- I will watch it though because I, I think it's it's more of a, you know, it's more of a, a sort of a dark comedy, isn't it? My friend, my friends watched it and he said he he, he was a, I don't, he's not a big Simon Pegg fan, so he thought he wasn't going to enjoy it, but he said it was actually good. So uh, and I, I like Simon Pegg, so I, I think I might watch it. I probably think. It, I'll probably enjoy that. Uh, okay, so moving on, I'm going to uh, I'm going to up gears a little bit, and I'm going to grab a book. Uh, oh, okay, I just grabbed this one by random, and uh, <laughs> actually, I bought this book. Right, I bought this book on a whim because somebody told me on the internet you should buy it and read it because it's got someone in it you know. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I went onto eBay, onto one of these. Uh, uh, shops that you know resell books and i got it for like i don't know 199 something like that it, i certainly didn't i certainly didn't pay seven quid for it eight quid I, I paid like 199 for it it's like pre-owned for those that uh um that want to know what it's all about it's uh will store versus supernatural one man's yeah. search for the truth about ghosts yeah, I've read I've read this a long time ago, and I remember enjoying it. It, it is really well. I got. I mean, Will, Will Stoy is a journalist, and he's worked for a lot of uh, those kind of magazines and stuff. So he he's kind of he knows how to write, and he knows how to put mm-hmm. you in the picture. And it starts off telling a little bit about who he is and, and what he does, and why he's doing this book because he has some experiences and he wants to say, well, what is this thing? What is the paranormal? Let's, let's find out about it. So he makes it a project and a book project to go and talk to people and see what it's all about. The book takes you through his journey of going and seeing all these people. I didn't know this at the time, but uh, I'm reading the book and I'm looking, when did this come out? I think it came out in uh, so a quick look. Well, 2006, 2007. So, yeah, a fair few years ago, but at the height of the paranormal, uh, you know, the most haunted and everybody's, you know, a ghost hunter. 
Yeah. So there's one. Um, let's see if I can find it. Uh, oh, no, I can't. I'm quickly looking and I can't. I'm not going to spend hours and hours looking for this massive index. But anyway, there is a there is a a, a chapter in this book where he goes and visits a ghost investigator or some call, you know, demonologist or whatever, whatever you want to call them. And mm. um, it only turns out to be the late Lou Gentili, which I was friends with for a number of years when he was doing his Lou Gentili show way, way back in the early days right. of way back in, this is way back in the two, early 2000s. He goes over and sees him and does a little bit of chapter on him. And it's fascinating to read somebody else's impressions of somebody that you've had contact with and you've spoken with. And it's very interesting. Uh, and he also goes on investigations with people. And he also visits people who are having phenomenon happen in their homes. And you can see that halfway through this book, the guy's getting really confused. This is what the hell's going on here? Um, are, are these people tricking me? Am I being, you know, am I willfully believing stuff that I'm being told? Because he's trying to be, is very, you know, he's trying to be very critical about it, and you know, let's be logical about what I'm seeing and what I'm experiencing. I can really recommend this book for someone who just wants to read a book that that's not going to be not not going to mar you down in, you know, paranormal speak. If you want a good read. And you want it to be a little bit lighthearted because it is lighthearted as well. This is an, an amazing book. And of course, we're going to list all these books in the show notes anyway. So you can go through and, and go and look on eBay and you can pick these books up now, literally for a couple of quid because, you know, they're, they're quite old. But yeah, Will Store versus the Supernatural. It's, um, it's great. And I really enjoyed this book. Like you, I found this book fun, a fun read and lots of interesting cases. Great book. I seem to remember that that Will Store one. He's kind of, he's kind of skeptical, yeah. but he's he's kind of like he's open minded to these things yeah. throughout the book. That's what I remember. So I'm going to pick a something a slightly similar theme, I guess. It's called Paranormality: Why We See What Isn't There by Professor Richard Wiseman. And uh, this is a book where it's it, you know it's basically like a psychology book. He talks about the paranormal in in the sense of like you know, why we might hallucinate something, why, you know, from from a sceptical point of view. And he explains, like, quirks of the human brain as, you know, why, why we might experience paranormal things from a sceptical point of view. But what I like about it is I get the impression from reading the book that he never fully discounts the reality of the paranormal. He, he, never, he never seems like he's sort of... Um, mocking the the existence of the paranormal or, or completely dismissing it he he's, he always seems like he's he's open to the possibility he's, he's just he's just talking about why we might hallucinate something like a ghost but that doesn't necessarily mean that we are hallucinating it might might you know the, the existence of a ghost might you know might really be there but he he just sort of I don't know. I, I like I like that approach to skepticism because I think it's important if you if you're researching into paranormal things is to be skeptical and you know and understand why like these things could happen from a, a skeptical point of view but also not be so close-minded that it, you instantly just dismiss everything as is as being like a trick of the mind or something like that so i, I really like this book i think he's he's got a really good attitude to, towards things and it's, it's just really uh you know it's it's, it's it's also like the way he presents things is really like um it's good for 
easy digestion. You know what I mean? It's not a heavy psychological tome. It's it's, it's very like he he writes from a very uh, accessible way. You know, he writes in small little chapters. It's it's easy to take in and it's it's well presented. It's easy to understand for someone like me who's not a you know a psychology major or whatever. It's it's, it's a good book. Professor Wiseman was on a lot of ghost shows a lot back in the day. Uh, I'd say the mid two thousands, but the most haunted era. And uh, a yeah. lot of people didn't like him because he was very, as you say, he was very kind of logical and he'd always look to, and as, as I say, you should look for the most logical reason that something might be happening. And uh, unless it's, you know, something that's right in front of you that cannot be disputed, if you hear something or experience something, you've you got to think, well, maybe that's me. Maybe I'm fallible. So, yeah, a lot of people didn't like him. Was that, was that, was that? Richard Wiseman. I remember they used to have like a skeptic on there uh, um, every week who would say. Oh, oh you're on about uh, like most haunted. That was uh, uh, Kieran O'Keefe. There was a few different skeptics on there. I don't, I don't remember Richard Wiseman being on it, but no, no, he was. Um, he would be on different paranormal shows, uh, and he would give uh, his opinion on something, and he would sort of give you the the logical uh, explanation of what it could possibly be. But uh-huh. but there were people out there that didn't like that and i think it's refreshing to get books that are a little bit more logical because to give you a different perspective on what the phenomenon might be so it's there aren't that many of those books around really in in the area of the paranormal a lot of people will happily write about ghosts and poltergeists and talk Mm -hmm. about the phenomenon and in the context of oh it was granny or it was you know the the ghost of derek that came back or whatever yeah 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 i just i mean like I like skepticism as a topic because I find it I find it interesting. Like you know, any any research, I like to look at like both sides of a thing. But I find a lot of skeptic arguments to be a bit like sometimes it's like they don't analyze their own arguments as much as they analyze like the paranormal phenomena. If that makes sense. For example, like I recently did a video about um, like famous ghost photos, yeah. and I was looking at the um, the Newby Hall ghost. Oh uh-huh, yeah, it's yeah. like you know the one with like the monk stood on, and I was looking through like for for like people discussing it and the, the skeptical explanations for why it might be a fake, and some of the explanations people were coming up with really seemed to be reaching. And I, I'm not saying that I fully believe the picture is definitely of a ghost, but people were saying it's actually a water stain on the photograph combined with the reflection of the light off a pillar behind creating the illusion. And they were going into so much detail about how this was what the, the photo was showing. It was just like, well, that, that does not make any sense as an explanation, but because it, it was, because it was the skeptical answer, people were like, right. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a, that's a good enough explanation that debunks it. Consider that photo debunked now, you know, yeah. it just, it, it seems like, A lot of time I get frustrated with skeptics because they seem to jump at what the first explanation that seems to debunk something and then consider it completely debunked and end of story doesn't need discussion anymore. And uh, sometimes the the explanations just seem a bit more far fetched than the paranormal explanation to me. So I I just find like this this book in particular is refreshing because it's it's skeptical but also skeptical without being cynical. Maybe is is the best way of saying it. He's you know, he's, he's he's keeping an open mind throughout. It seems. Yeah, and and that's the way that you should uh, approach any thing that is not explainable in a way that yeah. we 
can explain it in our everyday lives. And unfortunately, mm. if someone's going to say, oh, well, that was that. And then firstly, you have to ask that person, what research have you done on the topic? What, what books have you yeah. read? What, how have you educated yourself to come to that conclusion? And they're like, well, I don't need to because I know. Well, how do you yeah, know? Yeah. And uh, I think that people get angry then because you're kind of like you're going up against them and giving them a poke. And I, I, I think people don't like that. And I always believe that you should always look at something with a, a dose of skepticism because you can trick yourself. Mm. There is phenomenon out there that really is cannot be explained and we don't know why it happens. And whether it's uh, granddad come back to have a walk around or it's something far more than that we just haven't got a clue. We cannot grasp it. And uh, it actually, it, it brings me into um, actually one of my favourite books. And I bought this book on a whim because I like the cover. And I, I was already a fan of uh, the late, great Peter Underwood anyway. And if people don't know who mm. Peter Underwood was, from the first line for over 30 years in his position as the president and chief investigator of the Ghost Club of Great Britain, Peter Underwood has been actively involved in the undertaking of night vigils and carrying out research into ghosts and the paranormal in controlled scientific conditions. In this unique volume of largely unpublished accounts of nocturnal investigations, he guides us through a chilling tour of the most haunted houses in Great Britain. And it really is that. It's quite a read. Um, it's, you know, it's nearly 400 pages. But it's got loads of accounts in here of his personal investigations into haunted properties. And these houses are manor houses, churches, uh, private homes. And, and the phenomenon that he's experienced while in them. And one of the great things is Peter Underwood was never someone that would outright say ghosts are ghosts. He, he never... Uh, indirectly saw a ghost flitter in front of him he saw things and saw stuff and experienced stuff but he was always at the point where what did i see i'm not sure what i saw so yeah he had a really fascinating outlook on the paranormal and and and, and he's one of my favorite authors and i think i've got uh nearly all of his books and i've read all of his books on the paranormal he's he wrote on other topics as well but because he was an investigator um he you know, he had a, um, a a unique ability to put into words what he'd experienced. So, yeah, Nights in Haunted Houses uh, by Peter Underwood. That sounds good. I think I've got a few Peter Underwood books. I can't remember which one. You should read this. You you should get the copy of this and read it because it's brilliant. And uh, I, I bought it on a whim because I thought, oh, you know, I like Peter Underwood. I've read some of his articles. I, you know, heard him on the radio. He's He's sadly passed away now uh but i heard him on the radio he had a radio program and did interviews and uh i started buying his books and and i saw this one and I, you know because that's what i love i love reading about investigations and i, and I love reading yeah. about them when they go into so much detail when they talk to the people and you know get their accounts and stuff i love all that i, I love all that stuff because it really sets the mood and it and it sets you there so yeah that's another one of my favorites Cool. Yeah. Looking on my shelf to see what Pete Underwood books I've got. Cause the name really like, I'm, I'm sure I've got some, but I can't, I can't see any. <laughs> I'm sure I've got a few of his books though. He's, he's quite prolific, isn't he? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, mm. he, he's got lots of um, he's got lots of books out there, but uh, I, I, I've got them all, and I've got I've got some. Well, I'd say I've got the majority of them are actual books, but I've also got some as well on my uh, uh, Kindle. But we'll we'll talk a little bit about uh, that l- later. But anyway, your next book. Okay, well, um, I guess I'll stay with the topic of staying in haunted houses. Uh, this is an absolute classic. It's called This House is Haunted by Guy Lyon Playfair. Brilliant. An investigation into the Enfield poltergeist. So, yeah, one of my, one of my favourite cases, again, it's, it's similar to the, that uh, Jeff the Talking Mongoose book, but it's it's it's... It's it's sort of more legit, even because he's he's actually been into the house and stayed there and witnessed the events himself. So, you know, it's just a really good breakdown of the case. It's it's it, the, the Enfield Poltergeist is a case that's just always fascinated me. I always found it really sinister the whole story of it. And uh, this book, I, I, I was trying to get my hands on it for ages. And I was because I, I buy things off eBay, and you know sometimes I just click on things without really looking. Yeah. Like, oh, that's cheap. I'll, I'll buy it. There's a, there's actually a, another book with the exact same title, and I've ended up buying that book <laughs> before buying the because the the um the actual book of the this house is haunted is quite rare. It's quite expensive. Yeah. So I, I saw like a cheap version of it. I right buy that, and I ended up with some like fictional book called This House Is Haunted. Um, but eventually, I ended up finding like a cheap copy on eBay. I don't know why it was cheap because it's it's not in bad condition. I think it's just because someone's like written on the inside, like um, where the price is. It's it's got like writing inside saying like uh, "To Dad, Happy Father's Day," and then someone scribbled out the price and wrote "Nosy" above it. But I actually quite like that about books. I like I like secondhand books because they you kind of sense that other people have loved them before you have. You know what I mean? So. Um, I, I, I don't mind getting a book that's a bit battered and a bit, uh, you know, it's, it's got writing and stuff in there as long as you can read it. But uh, I just love the book. It's, uh, again, it's not written in a boring way. It's really, uh, it's really entertaining and it's got photographs in there that um, you don't see. Or you don't see him like when you're looking up the uh, Enfield Portalgeist online. You you see the same photographs over and over. This has got some like interesting things in there with of like um like bent cutlery and just weird things that they found like th- like strange objects that the the ghost was throwing and uh, it's got pictures of like some banknotes that have been found burnt up. Just just uh, it just gives you some extra detail that you don't find when you're just looking online at these cases. I always find it's better to get a book on a subject and read through that than to uh, rely on online information. So yeah, I, I really I really like this book. It's a good read. I've got the um, I've got the hardback copy. Uh, picked mm. it up a number of years ago, and it is yeah, it is quite difficult to get a good copy now and uh it's like anything it, it, it all goes over in price um yeah. but what i like about the book is that now i will say i mean we obviously mentioned guy linden playfair is there and also maurice maurice gross is there lead investigator yeah. mr e-type himself uh he was up there you know he's uh anyone in the paranormal will know who he is especially in england um and he had a bit of a hard time with this uh case because uh a lot of uh, people tried to put him down, saying, "You, you know, you, you're you're making a lot of this up. You you want to believe." And we do know that a number of years earlier that Morris lost his daughter in a, you know, I think it was a motorcycle accident, 
and uh yeah. everybody was saying well he you know he wants an answer he wants to believe because he wants his daughter to know mm-hmm. to his daughter's survived and that she's still around somewhere um but there are so many people in that case that witnessed phenomenon uh, from police to yeah. the media yeah uh, I think even the um, Ed and Lorraine Warren came over, didn't they? They showed their faces. Uh, briefly, briefly yeah. They? I don't think they were there long. But everybody sort yeah. of got involved with that case. And I do think, mm-hmm. I, I do think that Janet and her, and her, you know, siblings, I do think they took the mick a bit. And I do think that uh, yep. as the case <clears> was going on, and like all poltergeist phenomenon, you get, you get the start of it, you get the peak. And then it tails off to nothing. And mm-hmm. I think that as it was quietening down, the children were like, you know, we don't want this to stop. It's attention. All kids love attention. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I do think that um, it, maybe they did add to it a little bit to keep it alive. And people tend to look at that as a, a negative. You know, they like, well, clearly mm-hmm. they made it all up. Well, I, no, I don't think they yeah, did. Yeah. I think that when it started, you know, it started and it, what they were experiencing was real. Um, mm-hmm. But what the great thing about the yeah. book, as you say, you, you get all of the detail. You get all of the, the notes and everything. Which, so it's, it's great. It's a great read. You even get that where they've, they've caught the, the girls making things yeah. up. He even admits that. It says, like, yeah, the, the girls were faking some other phenomena. They, they were you know, doing it because they thought it was funny some of the time. It's like it, it freely admits that. But it also lists so many times where things happened where they couldn't possibly like there's one where I think it was the neighbor or someone neighbor or an uncle came around and he was sat on a sofa and he got flipped up out of the chair. It was as if the the whole, the whole sofa like flipped over and it's like, well, how could, how could two little girls do that? It's impossible. But well, the the next door neighbors who had some phenomenon happen to them and mainly noise and stuff, but uh, banging Mm. on the walls and stuff, uh, the, the husband, and I went round one evening and he witnessed uh, furniture moving and he said it scared him to death. He, he could see furniture yeah. moving around the, around the, uh, the front room and there were, no one was anywhere near it. And he, and it, mm-hmm. he said it scared him. You know, he was scared. So, you yeah, know, this yeah. is a grown man. Mm-hmm. Uh, police officer even got Lego in. The, mm-hmm. Yeah. Got thrown Lego bits of Lego thrown at them from mm-hmm. just appearing. So yeah, it's a fascinating fascinating case and it's one of many because there are many of those kind of poltergeist cases out there but the interesting tie is the tie-in with this case is apparently we got you know old bill who died downstairs in the chair of a brain hemorrhage and uh, mm-hmm. he was the one that was uh, manifesting through uh, janet and doing all the the stuff whether that's true or not yeah appar- apparently yeah yeah you never know do you because it if if it's some kind of demonic presence, it could just be, you know, picking up on this bill energy and using yeah. it to, to pretend to be him or something like that. You know, you never you never know with these cases whether whether it's a, a spirit, as they say, like you know, in the traditional way of thinking of a ghost, or whether it's something else. Uh, you know, it's the idea that it could be all a manifestation of the mind. I'm sure I've talked about this many times, but I, I'm still open to that idea that uh, you know there's no actual spirit involved, but it's just something to do with the uh, the mind of a. It, it always seems to revolve around like a, a teenager in the family, doesn't it? Quite often, it seems to be like adolescence brings it on, and it, it's. And some people have said that it could be something to do with the 
the mental turmoil of, of adolescence is somehow manifesting these strange things happening in the yeah. house. So, you know, I'm, I'm open to the idea that there's not even a spirit at all, that it's, it's all just somehow manifesting from the, the psyche of a person, but I don't know. It's, that's the thing about these cases. Uh, there's always so many like contradictions and different ways of looking at these stories that I, I find them like, I, I don't know. I find them like turning over in my head a lot after I've finished reading about them. They're just sort of like, you know, the fact that like some of the phenomena is faked and some of it couldn't possibly have been faked and it, it, just all these like weird like contradictions that you find through the stories and different twists and turns it's just i don't know i, I find i find poltergeist stories endlessly fascinating and uh, this is one of the just one of the best ones i think one of the one of the most interesting ones for me you could say that it's if it is a spirit or some kind of demonic presence or something like that that it's it's sort of feeding off the energy of the yeah. person it's like a love to that person and it's it's using that that sort of whatever it is the adolescent turmoil to sort of manifest themselves in a in a way you know it's it's feeding off them as in an energy i don't know again it's 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 impossible to tell really i think with these cases but uh like what the what the re what the reason behind them is i, I do, but that's one of the things that makes me makes me want to research them really I, I just, that's one of the things that interests me in the cases is the uh, sort of unknowable nature of them we're going to move away from the ghosts a minute. We're going to come back to ghosts, though. Okay. We're going to move away a minute because I want to, I want to talk about aliens and, and UFOs, mm. and I want to talk about one book that's made that made such an impression on me, and to, even to this day, I, I still fondly think of it as the book that really sort of made me start to read more and more about the UFO phenomenon. Even though I had an interest in it when I was younger, uh, I didn't really read a lot of literature. I didn't go out there and, and get many ghosts I was into. But I was into UFOs as well, but not as much. So the book I'm talking about is Whitley Strieber's Communion. And mm. I, I didn't read it at the time when it came out. I was a bit too young. But years later I did. It was after I'd seen the film. So... I saw the film first back in the when it came out all those years ago and then that prompted me to get the book get or get a copy of the book because everybody was saying oh no no yeah the film's good but you know Christopher Walken and that did a really good job but you need to you need to uh you need to get the book you need to read the book and there's a you know at this time uh it, that was the you know that was the 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 front cover of communion was you know the picture was that was it's a classic yeah a classic yeah. and yeah whitney streber who obviously he's had his own lot of controversy because he is a fiction writer people would say oh he's just writing another book just to make money but when you read the book if you you've got to read the book to understand that the what was happening to him if anyone out there doesn't know anything about communion, which I'm, I'll be very surprised, but I'm just going to give you, I'm not going to do no spoilers. I'm just going to give you an overview of what the book is about. Okay, Whitley Strieber, he experiences what we call today the abduction phenomenon. Okay, and he has these visitations and they go beyond something in the bedroom. They go beyond that. He has a cabin in the woods which he goes there with his late well his late wife now but at the time his wife uh and friends and he would stay there 
uh, and he had stuff happen there as well. And not only him had stuff happen, he, his friends witnessed phenomenon as well. And it wasn't just in the cabin, it was around the woods as well, where he would meet beings, things. I don't know. I don't know. You'd have to read the book to, uh, you know, for him to explain it to you. Um, and so that prompted him to write two other books. In, in, there's, a, there's, a, there's like three books in the set. And I would say that if you're going to read Communion, to read all of them. I'll, I'll, they'll be listed. They'll be in the show notes. So I'll list them in the show notes. Um, but yeah, so of course, the, the three books go through the whole, uh, the, you know, the whole of his experience and, and him questioning himself. Because honestly, he thought he was having a, a mental breakdown. He thought he was going insane by some of the ph- phenomenon that he was uh, experiencing. And one of the interesting things is in his cabin in the woods, uh, it was plagued by what we would call a, a poltergeist phenomenon. He, things were moving yeah. around and things were going missing. And he felt like he was being watched. He felt like something was in the room watching him. Creepy stuff. But the book, I couldn't mm. put it down, Tom. Have you read, you've read Communion? I have not read them. I've, I've watched some podcasts with, uh, what's his name? Whitney Whitney Streamer. Streamer, yeah. Yeah, I've watched some, I've watched... Um, you should read it. Sure yeah, yeah. He, he seems like an interesting guy. and it's, it's kind of one of those books that's always been on my list of of things to read because it is a it is a classic isn't it but uh, i've never got around to it now yeah i agree read it and anyone out there that's listening if you can get a copy get a copy and read it because it's it's totally fascinating your next book tom well actually this might tie in somewhat it doesn't really but what you were saying there about him <clears throat> whitley streber experiencing aliens yeah, and yeah. Then poltergeist activity it's sort of like i don't know it's a thing that i've been sort of working on is Actually, I'll just tell you about the book first, because uh, this kind of change. This is a good book for sort of changing your perception on things. I think it's called "The Holographic Universe" oh, yes. by Michael Talbot. Yes, Michael Talbot. Yeah. So, I mean, it's been a while since I read it, so forgive me if I'm getting this wrong. But um, it's the premise of it is that there's, you know, we think we think of the physical world interacting with the mind in sort of a, oh, like a one way direction, really. You know. We we exist in the physical world and we perceive the world through our senses and it goes into our mind and then we you know think about it and our thoughts are just our thoughts in our head. But this sort of presents the the human mind in a different way in that we have much more of a we sort of manifest reality around ourselves. So our mindset can sort of change our very reality. You know, it goes. It, you know, he, he sort of presents the mind going outwards and creating the physical world around us rather than it going the other way. It's just an interesting, interesting book. He goes through all these different cases and he, he sets out his, uh, his ideas in the book. Some of the science in the book, I think is a bit like he goes into like some of the quantum physics. I think some of that's a bit dodgy. Like sometimes if you look into it, some of the, some of his conclusions are a bit wrong. Like I wouldn't take everything in the book as like gospel. But it's just a. I think it's just a good way. It's it's just a good thing, a good way to get the the brain thinking differently about the nature of reality, and like the, um, you know, the, just the way the way the the mind can manifest reality for you. Like I, I don't know. I don't know if I fully believe that we just create our own like pocket reality around ourselves based on what we're thinking. I think it m- might be more of like a 
a back and forth interaction you know the reality exists and we take it in but also we sort of manifest it back outwards again in some like back and forth way um but it, what you were saying about the power like you know in a paranormal sense a sort of theory that i've been kind of coming more and more around to is that the the idea that um like a lot of paranormal phenomena is sort of based on you know is based on our thoughts and our perception of things and i'm sure i've spoken about this many times but like what you were saying about the uh the communion book how he was experiencing sort of alien abduction phenomena but at the same time poltergeist phenomena yeah. and it, i've noticed in a lot of stories very similar things like you'll experience say like people will see lights in the sky and then they'll they'll see a cryptid of some sort or they'll see lights and then they'll experience poltergeist phenomena or they'll see a dog man in the woods and then later that night they'll see a, a human ghostly figure walk through their bedroom and it seems like these phenomena are sort of all linked together in some way and i'm i like i don't know this book sort of give me the idea that we could be sort of influencing these things in some way. This could, these could be manifestations of our mind going outwards and creating like a physical reality out there. Um, I, I, I don't think I've really got the, uh, the idea fully formed in my head yet. I don't know if I can explain it very well, well but just, just the idea that there's, there's much more, in, you know, there's much more interaction with the world through our, through our minds than, than how we think of reality really i think you're uh, kind of you're on the right track there um i i've you know i've read i've read up on this stuff and i've read a lot of books mm. on it and i i'm like you i uh i have my own thoughts on what you know what it, we might be experiencing the the problem i have is um if it's an individual thing okay if it's me and everything mm. that i perceive and everything that I understand, uh, I'm able to manipulate up to the nanosecond as I walk into a room. That room is there. I perceive that room as I want to perceive it. So I am creating yeah. that room in a way. Does that mean that all the individuals around me, I'm create, I'm influencing them and creating what they do as well? Okay. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't. I, that, that's why yeah. I say I think it's much more of a back and forth. It's, yeah. it's not just one pocket reality with your brain just creating everything around you and i think it's much more a back and forth thing there's there's physical reality but also it's it's sort of like a an interaction between our brains and the physical reality which you you could be in because the same thing with paranormal when when multiple people see the same thing it's it like is it a manifestation of all those people's minds or is it's you know i don't i don't know but I don't think it is just the fact that, like, I think this is sort of what the conclusion of this book comes to is almost like we are just in our own like little universe that we create ourselves. But it, I don't see how that works with everybody's individual minds at the same time. I think it's more of a, a collective thing. I think it's more of a, yeah. a, as a social, as people, as a, as a collection of people, you know, everyone. Uh, I think. The, the consciousness out there that we put out into the universe that's what influences our perception of reality our vision is you know very limited as if if something's got the ability to pop out of our spectrum of vision we no longer see it it's still there it's still there but we yeah. don't see it we no longer perceive it um if it can m move to a 
a, di- a dimension that we can't perceive it to us. It's magic. It's vanished, but it's still there. Mm. So I think that we, as a group, as people, th- our thoughts and our beliefs and all that stuff go a long way to to creating the reality that we live in. You know, path A or path B or whatever you want to do. But when you have a group of people that all sort of think similar, then I think that you do, in a way, you all have a play a role in kind of perceiving the the group reality that you that yeah. you live or or experience. Yeah, yeah. But but it does move on quite interestingly to the next book that I want to talk about. Okay, because uh, that has a lot to do with reality. Um, some of you might be familiar with the author Anthony Peake, who talks a lot on life after death. I I remember coming across Anthony Peake's work a long time ago, a long, long, long time ago on YouTube when he was doing a like a small little talk in a bookstore. I don't know where it was, but it was before he'd released it. His first major book uh, is their life after death. It's quite a big book as well. It's uh, it's over four hundred pages, or th- nearly th- yeah, nearly four hundred. But it's a lot. But um, this book it it's entitled uh, "The Extraordinary Science of What Happens When We Die." I- I'm going to sort of tear it down to the most basic way that I can describe the book because the book has got some really far out theories in there, but. What Anthony Peake does, he tries to look at the science behind it and see if the science kind of adds up to what he's talking about. So you have to be prepared to do a little bit of head work, but it's, you know, it is a good book. Um, So basically, what if, right, what if when, when we expire, right, when we die, whatever you want to call it, rather than we, rather than us going on to some other netherworld or there's nothing or whatever is that we reset and we start to live our life again so we everything resets at the at the point of conception we reset our life is reset ready to go again and we live our whole life again okay but it's not the same life it's a different life because along the way you're going to make different choices and have different thoughts and different, you know, you might have a different job or, a, you know, different people that you're with and stuff. You don't relive it with everyone. And so your life is slightly different, but you're reliving the same, you know, moments in time as a whole. Uh, one of the things he, he talks about is um, uh, deja vu and the deja vu experience where uh, you're you're somewhere and you go, cool, I feel like I've been here before. Well, mm-hmm. in his explanation yeah. in the book, it's, well, you have been here before. But the reason that you're uh, thinking this is because you've actually lived this moment before in a previous, you know, iteration of your life. And of course, all this is happening, right? All this is happening in the last few moments of life of your previous life. So think of it like um, uh, the Next Generation episode where the captain of the Enterprise, Jean-Luc Picard, gets an injury. And as he's unconscious for a few hours, he lives a whole life. 
in a different place on yeah. a different planet, you know, and he dies an old man and he wakes up from his coma or whatever it was. I don't remember the full story, but you know, that kind of thing where you, cause obviously at the moment of, of point of death, you slip out of time. So then time becomes meaningless so that your a thousand years is there's no moment. There's no time. You don't measure it. It's, it takes as long as it takes. So it's a fascinating book, but it is a very, um, it's a, it is, you've got to sit down and read it, you know, as we, as some of the books I've got, you can just read and go, oh, that was fun. But this one's, you've got to get your head around it and you've got to really sort of read what he's writing. He's very, he, he writs very sort of precisely and he, you know, he does get the point across. Is it like he, he definitely thinks that that's what uh, No, no, no. He, he's not it's saying just... this is what actually is. He's saying that if you look at all the data out there, then this is a possible mm possible this is a possibility this could happen yeah. but there's this isn't the only book he's written a myriad of books since this book on the subject uh he's got uh cheating the ferryman stuff like that he's he's got lots of books out there um but i bought this one because i've always had um an, an interest in afterlife death you know communication all that sort of stuff and i thought you know he's talking about it from a slightly different angle where it kind of Look, put it this way, right? This is the kind of book, right, that you would pick up and it's not got nothing about heaven in it. It's got nothing about angels. It's got nothing about uh, that we're going to grow up, you know, you're going to die and go to a, a place where you're going to have a, your dream house and all your family's going to be there. No, it's not. It's not it does, what it's saying is that when you die, you just simply keep on living again and you're just going around in a complete circle. As you do it, you're learning new stuff and, you know, and it's kind of, you could have lived a, a million times before. And some people might have not have lived before. They might, it might be their first run. Basically, it's an interesting uh, twist to reincarnation. You know, it's got a, it's got, it is interesting. It's an interesting book. It's almost, it's almost like, um, it's almost like multiverse theory, isn't it? Like the, like it. If people are going around living the same lives over over and over, but it's like a different life each time, it, it would suggest that almost like there was these different well, multi-universes that people were living this way, in. Right. And this is this is all right. I'm I'm reaching now, but I'm just going to give this as a an, an an example. Imagine this, right? That uh, you are at home, and the phone rings. Okay, and you mm. think, ah, oh, that's that's Jack. And you pick the phone up, and it's Jack, right? And you go, oh, that's weird. Yeah. I'm just thinking about you. And the phone rang, and I knew it was you. And he's, and he's like, ah, oh, it's just coincidence. Maybe it's not. Maybe that moment has happened before. And at that moment, you pick up on a previous life memory. And it all slot That yeah. moment has happened exactly at the right time. So... But what that's telling me as well, if moments like that are, you know, connected, that means that those other people are reliving their lives on the same mm. stream as you are. <laughs> Do you know, what I mean? it starts to get weird. Yeah. Yeah, but like what happens, for example, in that scenario we just suggested there, the guy who answers, the guy sitting there waiting for his phone to yeah, ring, yeah. he he dies at like the age of fifty, and Jack goes on to live till he's eighty. Uh -huh. 
and they they both go back around again but like what's happening whilst like do they go back to the same sort of timeline or do they sort of both go back and restart a completely different branch of a timeline you know you're in the realms of uh quantum theory and stuff now yeah you're in the realms of how does that work um or or Mm. is it simply esp am i you know am am i uh, once again it's still connected to the uh to the global consciousness uh where you are are you connected in some way to know that that a moment's going to happen and if so if there is a global consciousness then if everybody thought about the same thing at the same time, could we manifest something mm. into reality? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that was what I was trying to get at before with the, the mind manifesting thing. It's, yeah. Who knows? Maybe maybe you've manifested Jack giving you a phone call. I don't maybe, know. yeah. Maybe, maybe he is a figment of my imagination and he never even existed. <laughs> maybe, I, maybe I created him and gave him the life i don't know it's maybe it's uh but i do i do like reading stuff like this because i might not agree with all of it but i do find it fascinating i really do yeah i, I would like to get anthony peak on an episode of uh paratalk but uh i think he's uh far too busy for that at the moment i think he's really he's writing another book at the moment i think but uh mm. yeah he's a, he's a fascinating bloke and he's and he comes up with lots of interesting theories and and like i say you know yeah, you don't, they don't shout people down. Listen to what they got to say. You might not agree with them, but you just listen to what they got to say. Mm. Yeah, definitely. What's your next book, Tom? Oh well, I was trying to. I'm looking at my pile of books and thinking, I don't know about this one. Well, it's it's a bit it's a bit out there. This isn't really. <laughs> it's it's very we're taking a bit of a swerve here, but it's it's a uh, it's called Sacred and Herbal Healing Beers. Okay. By Stephen Harold Booner. <laughs> it's a bit, it's a bit of a swerve from what we've been talking about, but it's uh, I, I don't know. I just I, it is in my in my pile, and I've got to talk about it at some point. It's one of my favorite books. It's basically he goes into the history of fermentation, okay. but he talks about it from like a spiritual point of view. In that, a lot of people, a lot of religions, have this sacred connection to fermented products: beer, wine. You know, if you think of like Jesus and the the wine being his blood, and there's all these different religions around the world which have this connection to fermented liquids and some sort of holy connection to them. Um, but he he goes into that, and then it's it's just a really interesting book. And then he goes into all these different because over the years it hasn't just been like hops that have been added to beer it's it's been uh, all sorts of different strange plants and he goes into the like the the uh, sacred nature of the plants that they would add to beer and the supposed properties that they would impart on the beer so a lot of the time these these drinks were like they weren't just for drinking and having a party they were like these you know they were either medicine or they were some kind of spiritual practice there's all these all these weird like um recipes in there so you can actually make your own and he go even goes into like hallucinogenic beers that they used to make like um you know they used to add henbane to beer back in the day um i'm, I'm sure i, I could be wrong here i'm sure the original recipe for pilsner called for henbane to be added which is uh which is quite a poisonous plant, but it's it's also 
you know, in, in, in the right dose can be like hallucinogenic and can give you all kind of strange effects. So he's got a recipe in here for making your own henbane ale, which, uh, you know, if you got it wrong, might be, might kill you. I don't know, but uh, it's just a, an interesting, an interesting book. It's, it's, it's got a lot of, um, it's got a lot of recipes in here, but also just like a lot of, a lot of history and a lot of, a lot of information about just, uh, fermentation and the the sacred nature of it. I don't know why. Like it, this hasn't got anything to do with what we've been talking about, really. But uh, I, I had to bring it up at some point just because I really, really love this book. Well, alcoholic drinks or medicinal drinks, you know, the flowers mm. in the woods and stuff. It's uh, it's it's kind of like uh, you were in the olden days. You were someone with a little bit of power if you knew what flowers to use to, you know, Uncle Uncle yeah. Jack's got a bad back. You know, give him a. Give him a dandelion and a a dock leaf and some uh, in in some make a beer from it and he'll be fine. So knowing yeah. stuff like that is uh, was a thing back then, and uh, it was lots of uh, you know as you say drinks were used in rituals. They still well, still are now, but more so back then because rituals were more of a thing back then. Uh, so mm-hmm. yeah, I mean drinks and that do play uh, a part in uh, I suppose in the mystical world. Uh, so yeah, I I I think that oh, that's fascinating. Um, I don't know about the uh, hallucinating, making a beer that makes you hallucinate. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. But yeah. has a warning on it may cause death. Well, it might do. I don't know. I mean, it does. It does. It does warn you. It's just he's given recipes, and also it's it's mostly just an interesting book to learn about. Well, it's it's got a lot of stuff about different cultures. You, you you get to learn about like interesting cultures interesting fermentation process which was something i never really thought i would find interesting but it's it somehow makes it interesting and also like just um you you get to learn a little bit of like the the um sacred nature of various plants and just a little bit of like herbalism in there and it's it's just a book with it's just an interesting read it's it's something that's like i've I've, I've never had much of an interest in brewing my own beer but i just picked it up one day i thought oh this looks interesting sounds weird it's a weird title for a book sacred herbal healing beers and it's it's fascinating so uh, i had to throw that in there just because it's it's an interesting book so i think on that note i think we've come to the end of this episode uh, so what's um i was going to ask you before we uh depart what's how's the um how's the gaming going i haven't i haven't seen any new uh gaming videos from you lately what's going on there tom oh i've been i've been ill i've had an infection i don't know what it is kidney infection or something i'm, I'm on I've, I've been on antibiotics but i've been laid up for about a week ill so uh, i haven't had much chance to record anything or do any streaming or anything uh time the last time i streamed i was playing dark souls and i was playing so badly because i was getting this illness and then uh, that night i was like having fever dreams that i was in dark souls in like the uh, catacombs level just just this you know when you have yeah. those fever dreams yeah. right? it's just like repeating in your head it was like that but i was in the game and, uh, and then after that i haven't really done any streaming since then because i was too ill i had a dream like that when i was sick i woke up and i i woke up from a dream and i still mm. felt that i was in the dream for a moment it was really weird and i was yeah. completely sweating and uh, I don't know, it was like a horror dream. It was like I was in this house and I was trying to get out. And I woke up, go to the bathroom. And I I got up and I felt like I was in the house. It was really weird. I was kind of confused. But mm-hmm. yeah, and then, uh, 
Yeah, I don't like that when you're when you're that sick and you have those weird kind of dreams. I get those sometimes. Yeah. I'm on I'm on the men now, but I'm on some like antibiotics that make me like I don't know, like my my mind. I feel like really fuzzy in my head. So apologies to your viewers if I sounded a bit scatterbrained. No, but uh, didn't notice it. It's t- <laughs> tablets that I'm on. <laughs> some of those tablets do have weird uh, weird uh, weird side effects, don't they? Make mm. you feel a bit off sometimes. But hopefully you'll be uh, back on track soon with some uh, yeah. with some new content. But anyway, so uh, well, yeah. Thanks for joining me. Anyway, Tom, it was uh, uh, it was um, uh, a fun conversation, and I hope that everybody that wanted to hear about our interesting books um, can uh, can now go out and buy all the books we talked about because they're all they're all amazing. They're all brilliant books. Yeah. Um, I'll add them to the um, uh, to the show notes so that everyone can uh, go and uh, go and be eBay or wherever you need to go or even go on Kindle and download it I don't Kindle know. yeah uh, I'm sure they'll be on there as well but um, yeah so uh, remember to give us a, a like and a um, a subscription or whatever or wherever you um, or a review wherever you might be downloading this episode um, and until next episode see you soon thanks for listening <laughs>